Hey, Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is on Patreon. Yeah, if you're one of the people who have been sending us letters saying that you want more Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories in your life, this is your opportunity. Boy, do we love doing this. If we could just do this all the time and not do anything else, well, I guess we would just do this, right? And we'll make it easy and cheap and affordable because we do love it so much. If you want to support the show, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash rock and roll bedtime stories, and we'll throw that link in the notes. Don't go to sleep, mother. Don't go to sleep. And do me a favor. Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. Well, what the hell are you saying, boss? You've lost half your body sleeping. I, I sleep pretty hard. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Hey, it's Brian. And hey, it's Murdoch. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. You've got to be one of those amazing listeners that sends us listener mail. We are the story guys at gmail.com. That's how you get us a note, something to check out. And last week we had one specifically around Ozzy Osbourne and how his partnership with a certain manager's daughter went from a rescue mission to a marriage in a business partnership. Um, that, of course, in in the course of that story, we discovered that Sharon Levy went and became Sharon Osborne, and she got sort of this legendary place in rock history. For those of you who may not even know, I don't know. I'm guessing you have to know. She's like was on the talk. And then for me, I can't even really hear her own voice now. I hear Amy Poehler from SNL doing her voice with like a little dog doing the, <laughs> is it that right, Ozzy? Yes, that's so right. Like, that's how I hear her voice. And that is not her, how she talks. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I, for one, would argue that Sharon Osbourne's place is among the ranks of, like, the most shrewd and unscrupulous, but also probably the most effective and successful rock and roll business people of all time. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, 100%. But in researching that particular story, which was really focused more around how she finagled the finances in regards to songwriting credit for Ozzy, it was hard to avoid this larger story that looms at the edges and really permeates the whole thing, I think, this this interpersonal relationship between Ozzy and Sharon, right? A a relationship that's been well-documented, including a groundbreaking reality TV show that we'll talk about. But I also think this relationship has been a little misunderstood. So in a companion piece of sorts to Ozzy versus the songwriting, today I thought we'd talk Ozzy versus Sharon. There's a trigger warning. This is a story about addiction and abuse. You're going to hear some things that might be a little uncomfortable there's a lot of violence uh domestic violence that happened here and some things are just unavoidable about their history and just want to make sure that that that's clear so now that we've set that up we want to know who you're dealing with and how they came together it is the lead singer of black sabbath rolling stone just put out the top 10 uh heavy metal songs of all time black sabbath is three of the seven i was gonna say how many times were they in there and then ozzy's in there with crazy train yeah, and he's, yeah, so he's four of the ten. That's, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, it's right. good so, timing, right? It's good timing to, to mention that that is the sort of impact this guy had. Yeah, and then the manager's daughter entered the family business, and then that was Ozzy's manager, and then Squeeze, and that's what we're going to talk about. Well, one thing we didn't really suss out in uh, the last discussion was that Ozzy has a first wife. Sharon is his yeah, second wife. That's right. So he yeah. meets her when she's like 18 in the early 70s. They marry at 82. So they know each other for a full decade before they marry. But depending on who you ask, they openly become romantic sometime between 79 and 81. In the in-between, Ozzy meets and marries Thelma Riley. I don't know how much the average rock fan knows about this woman or this relationship. Do you Do you feel like you know much about her? I mean, just a, just a bit. Like to put it in the time period. So Sabbath starts 68. 
the self-titled record 70, Paranoid 70, Masters of Reality 71. And then Ozzy meets Thelma in a nightclub in 71. So this is peak. I mean, do we call that peak Sabbath, Master of Reality? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, for me, like not being around, hard to say. But in retrospect, retrospect, I mean, the the biggest, like the heavy, like the heavy metal band. Right. And he's so young at this point. I forget that. He's 22. So if the band starts in 68, he's 18 when that band starts. And I've read different things, but the best I can tell is that at this time when he meets Thelma, she's employed at this nightclub and working to become a teacher. And at that point, she's already got a five-year-old. And Thelma and Ozzy will marry within a few months and they'll start having kids of their own. So Ozzy adopts that kid. Mm. And then they have kids. And then he's touring the world. And I don't know if you guys know, but Ozzy has bad habits. <laughs> and and they're and they're from early on. I mean, there's reasons why. It's sure, a, it's, a, it's a nice way to put it. Maybe uh, there's a quote from an Ozzy memoir that I, I saw bandied around a lot when I was looking into this. Here it is. Quote, if I loved Thelma, I certainly didn't treat her like I did. If I've got any regrets about my life, that's one of them. I put that woman through hell. I should have never married her. She didn't deserve it. She wasn't a bad person and she was not a bad wife. In that same memoir, he is said to also describe having three fans in one night after a show during this period of his life in which he's married. So no surprise that that relationship doesn't work out. Legally, though, it holds up until 82. He's romantic with Sharon before then. And once the divorce is official, they fly to Hawaii and get married. Yeah, because I can see the picture with the lays around their neck. Right? Like, that's a really that famous picture for Aussie fans, which I think is sort yeah. of funny. But yeah, it is It is a, a iconic photograph. Yeah, and as we covered last week, the other, um, the other episode, if you haven't listened to it, she gets his management contract as a wedding present from Dad, <laughs> who she had been working for, and she'll quickly take Ozzy's career to a different record label, cause a giant rift in the family, and obviously make Ozzy incredibly famous. Now, like he did with Thelma, Ozzy has kids really quickly with Sharon. They marry in 82. They have Amy in 83, Kelly in 84, and Jack in 85. There's this 2007 interview in the show notes with the London Evening Standard where Ozzy's talking about being sober for a couple years, and he says this. One of my daughters, Kelly, is 22, because this was in 07, and she was just born when I first wanted to get help. So it's taken me all this time to do it. I mean, you can guarantee one of three things if you drink like I did. Death, if you're lucky, insanity, or jail. Yeah. I dropped that (laughs) quote here because it sets a scene for what this marriage is going to look like for the first decade. Right. And it goes without saying that Ozzy had this substance abuse problem before marriage ever happened. And there are all kinds of stories from Sabbath and the early solo days about firing his band and forgetting he did it. And and all that is chalked up to this drug, by the way, that's legal in all 50 states here in America called alcohol. He literally shows back up and doesn't understand why they're upset with him after he's fired the ball. I mean, and that's like, that didn't just happen once. Like there's all sorts of stories like that. Uh, and, and when you read accounts from either Sharon or Ozzy, both will convey that this marriage is basically characterized by two things, uh, especially for the first 10 years or so. One, arguably perturbed by the other. The first one is substance abuse and then followed very quickly by drunken physical abuse. And Sharon has said this in the press a lot, that one of the things she now thinks brought the two of them together and kept them together was this common relationship they had to violence growing up. Right, yeah. And... 
it reminds me of <laughs> this is a weird place to take this conversation, but it's what I think of when I read this or hear someone say that, right? About like two people brought together by something very unfortunate who sort of understand each other, have a shorthand because of the trauma that is in their past that's shared or similar. And there's, I don't know if you ever read the Hunger Games books. I'm about to drop a huge spoiler alert on you. Basically, the, the there's this like sort of love triangle that is through all of the books. And at the end of the books, she ends up staying with the the guy who she has gone through all of these trials with. And the, the book is pretty depressing because it ends with this like realization that this girl has had as she has grown up that no one, regardless of how she really feels about this other person, no one's going to understand her like he does because he went through the same thing she went through. And I think that is a very real thing. And I think that's the sort of thing that Sharon alludes to in these interviews when she talks about this, right? Here's a quote from The Guardian in 2006. Okay. Uh, Sharon has said that she was attracted to Ozzy's sense of fun, his kindness when he wasn't drinking, and also something more intangible to do with his effort to escape his own violent background. Sharon knows the terrible pull of history of established patterns of behavior that travel down a family line and the self-loathing that comes with one's failure to resist them. Now, we talked about Daddy-O in the songwriting episode. So you want to refresh who Daddy-O is? Yeah, it's Don Arden. So you you have that Peter Grant, Led Zeppelin, mob mentality, uh, tough guy, manager guy, who threatened people with violence, and that was does the gig like that's that's how he made things happen dude one example sort of bigger literally a bigger than life figure we didn't even bring this up in the last discussion you know this story about how he and her brother sharon's brother are arrested in 1986 for kidnapping and torturing an accountant no geez what an accountant from their record label (laughs) like one of their guys because they thought he was embezzling so they 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 kidnapped him and tortured him he will uh so the brother gets convicted don will get acquitted. But this is the guy this is the guy she grows up with and takes after as we've discussed. And this even manifests in how she presents herself early in her career. I don't know if you remember this, big fans will or folks who have followed Ozzy and Sharon for a long time. Sharon there's no other way to say this. She used to be a much bigger woman physically. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And you don't really see that. Like it's like I don't know if she owns the SEO, but you don't see you don't see those pictures, pictures of Sharon together. Like Sharon, where she was a heavier woman, yeah. she had a uh, a lot. And, and, and right, and and that was. Did she think that was part of the gig? So like this is this she, is another excerpt from the Guardian piece. Being fat, she says, was something she cultivated when she worked for her dad and had to do business with people who were older and tougher than her. Here's a quote from Sharon. I was very big and very loud, and that was part of the persona. I didn't want to walk in as a 25-year-old girl weighing 95 pounds. It doesn't make an entrance. But if you come in and you're 225 pounds and you're covered in fur and diamonds, people go, what the fuck is this? And you make a statement. Yeah, and so... We know of Sharon's violent past, so what about Ozzy? Like, what predates this? London's Daily Mirror has this interview with him in 03, and he comes clean in this interview, it's in the show notes if you want to read it, about sex abuse in his childhood. He says in that piece that he was repeatedly sexually abused by school bullies when he was uh, 11. And then there's this book by Sue Crawford that, now, this is an unauthorized book, it's literally called Ozzy Unauthorized, um, so take it for what it's worth. But she claims in that book that he came from a, quote, poverty-stricken, violent family, and that witnessing his father's beatings of his mother led him to become a very violent kid himself. 
organizing, quote, hanging squads at age seven that would string up <gasps> other kids in bathrooms. Oh, my God. He would get into gang fights with trash can lids, fireplace pokers, and meat cleavers. Crawford quotes Ozzy as saying, I can remember one pitched battle where I deliberately tried to drown some kid. Where I came from, it was kill or be killed. It's so terrible. And in, in this book, she even claims that a teenage Ozzy tried to take his own life at one point. And I read that too, that when Ozzy was younger, that he had he had, had a suicide attempt or... Uh, and it was more than like ideation. It was like he'd yeah, think about it. So, it. So, okay, so now we have this picture together of violence defining them as a couple, which is totally different now when you we kind of you put this together. Yeah, for me. I mean, I think it's important to lay that all out because it really helps you understand what comes next. Because what what comes next is very disturbing. Um, and as far as the violence between these two people, the thing that has to be reiterated about them, and Sharon gets most of the credit for this, as we've already established, because she's sort of the puppet master, is that they are very deliberate in the way they present this, right? So they own their own narrative. As story guys, we talk about this, right? About owning your narrative, <laughs> owning your yeah. brand. And given people know them for their dysfunction, they've actually done a really good job of controlling this story on what's really happened between them. Over the years, they, they kind of have two or three anecdotes that they drop in the press over and over, and they've stayed consistent. Here are the ones you normally hear. One, at some point, and she's very unclear as to when this happened in their relationship, Sharon woke up without her front two teeth. <laughs> I didn't hear this. I, it's oh it's hard God. not to laugh at that. Ozzy presumably knocked them out when they were both blackout drunk, and she had to find them in the hallway and have them put back in her mouth. Five or six Gosh. years ago, they were promoting something, and I'm not sure what, and they were using this a lot. Like in 2017 or so, they were dropping that anecdote. Think about how good they are at this. They're very good and at it. it. And, and Harry and Meghan get offended at South Park making fun of them. <laughs> like how how pathetic that is. Well, there was a moment where I was taken in, and I was like, you know, this this is really bad, how the press has totally destroyed his life. And I'm like, dude, it's South Park. Has no anyone told you, like... This is a joke. So, you, I mean, you bring up something that we're going to get to later when we get to the reality show, right? Which is about how they handle all of this and the sort of the bar they set for the, for the rest of America, for the rest of celebrity America and for like celebrity entertainment in America. So it's, it's a fascinating case study because they're really pioneers in all this. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But here's the other headline you always hear. And this is the one we got to spend some time on. This famous story that Ozzy tries to kill Sharon. Yes. Yep. Now, that's the thing. This one really got a lot of mileage when they did a documentary a few years ago for Annie. But some of the best commentary I found on it goes all the way back to 2007. There's a piece in the Evening Standard that's actually titled, They Got Him to Agree to This, The Day I Tried to Kill Sharon. I think you have to have balls to agree to that being the headline. Your story. This is Ozzy talking. I used to black out a lot, and my biggest fear was waking up in a police cell and having an old lady say to a police officer, yeah, that's the guy who ran my husband down, or hey, that's the guy who hit my son over the head with an axe. It used to terrify me, and then it happened. That day I woke up in a single cell with human shit on the walls, and I thought, what the fuck have I done now? Has one of my practical jokes backfired? So I asked the police officer, and he, I said, what am I here for? He read me a piece of paper that said, you're charged with attempting to murder Mrs. Sharon Osborne. Oh, God. And if you black out, 
Oh, wow. So for some historical context, this happens in September of 89. Within a few days or weeks, depending on what you read, of Ozzy getting back from Moscow. Do you want to tell us a little bit about why Ozzy was in Moscow? <laughs> oh, Jesus. I'm so ready. <laughs> speaking, I, speaking I knew of, you could handle this. Speaking of mobster managers that get off from things, yeah. let me just... Let me just explain. So how long did it take us to get to Motley Crue? You're welcome, <laughs> listeners. So, so Skid Row, Crue, Bon Jovi, Ozzy are all going to Moscow. And the reason why they're doing the Moscow Music Peace Festival is that Doc McGee, who was later Kiss's manager at some point, was convicted of smuggling. I want everyone to close your eyes. <laughs> He was convicted of smuggling 40,000 pounds of weed into the United States. Have you, have any of you ever held more than 10 pounds? It's 40,000 pounds of weed. So this actually happened in 82. So by crew standards, this is before shout at the devil, everybody. So he had it stuck in the courts for six years. Bon Jovi wrote this amazing letter, like saying he was like a, whatever, a pillar of the community. Guy. Yeah. He got a $15,000 fine and a five year suspended prison sentence. And then why wouldn't a convicted drug dealer want to give back? <laughs> that was the Moscow music peace festival. <laughs> And and see, I got us back to to the crew being there. Who, by the way, of every fucking person on this plane going to Moscow, the only sober people on that plane were Motley Crew because they'd all just for gotten out of rehab, and they were totally in hell because everybody was doing lines and drinking booze on the plane, including Ozzy, who apparently was going bananas up and down the aisles on that plane. So. If you're listening now, you might be thinking, why the hell have you guys not done an episode about the Moscow Peace Festival? And I will tell you why. And that is because there is an excellent podcast that Crooked Media did called Winds of Change about the Scorpions, because the Scorpions are at this festival. And oh, by the by the way, Cinderella is at the festival <laughs> and they killed and they were better than everyone. <laughs> Take my word for it. So check check out that pod because this plays a big piece in that podcast where it is suggested that this whole thing actually might have been set up by the government and the CIA to try to do some uh, covert work around our relationship with Russia. But that's for another time. Do check out that pod. Uh, what you need to know from it, though. <laughs> Are you going to do it? No. <laughs> I hate, I hate I hate that song. What you what you need to know is that Ozzy has been out of the country doing this high profile, maybe government concocted concert event. And like I said, it's a little unclear because this the festival actually takes place like August fifteenth or something. And then this incident with Sharon is September second. So I don't know how long he's in Russia or whatever. But it is after that. And we know because it's well documented, he was super bananas during this period. And it's helpful to understand where he is in his career and his notoriety. Here's the story how they tell it. September 2nd, 1989, Sharon says that Ozzy comes into the room after they put the kids to bed and says, we've come to a decision that you've got to die. I'm not sure who we refers to, 
But when you're talking about the Prince of Darkness, my mind immediately goes to demons. Hey, it's it's happened to all of us, right? You, you, <laughs> it's not. You, you put the kids. You put the kids to bed. You come downstairs, look right at your spouse, and say, "We've decided." <laughs> I mean, the plural pronoun. <laughs> listen, I, I want to be sensitive because this is this is a fucked up story, right? I mean, it is it is fucked up. But there also is this element where they have paraded this story around enough that I feel like we have to approach it with a little bit of levity now that they have both sur- sur- survived it. I mean, yeah, this is what Sharon says about it. I had no idea who it was that was sitting across from me on the sofa, but it wasn't my husband. He goes to a state where he gets this look in his eyes. There's shutters. That's how she describes it. Shutters were down on his eyes Gosh. and I couldn't get through to him. She adds, he was calm, very, very calm. And then lunged at me. I felt the stuff on the table. It, here's the craziest part of the story. And I felt the panic button, and I just pressed it. The next they have thing a pan- know, they have a panic button. They have a fucking panic button. Now, what does that say about this relationship and the this lifestyle that they have built in a panic button in their house? But wouldn't that be like if <clears throat> if you and I live together and we just live like just the two of us, just the two of us, <laughs> and we and we stayed. <laughs> maniacally blacked out drunk all the time and doing as much drugs as possible. We might have a panic button because we might be scared that someone on the streets trying to get in our house. But she says it's on the, like on the coffee table. Wouldn't you put it somewhere more discreet so you didn't bump it under? Yeah. You put it under the poker table (laughs) like in the casino. It's on top of the table. I have no idea, but that, that detail of this story gets me, uh, so how does this all resolve, right? The short answer is that Ozzy will go to rehab. Sharon will eventually drop the charges. But they do sort of look at this as this turning point in their relationship, right? There's this quote from The Sun when they were promoting this documentary a couple years ago where one of them said, um, and this is this is from the piece, incredibly, Sharon admits that while close to divorcing him, she always wanted to stay with Ozzy for the sake of the kids. And now it's Sharon talking. Thank God the judge put him in treatment for six months. I had time to really think about what we should do. I told him, I don't want the money, but if you do this again, either I'm going to kill you or you're going to kill me, and we don't want that for our kids. That's nice. And I think it's pretty accurate. Like, I do think one of them would have died had it, had it gotten to this point again. Now, if we're going to talk about all the negative aspects of the Aussie sharon relationship, we probably owe it to them to point out the positive outcomes. These two will do some very groundbreaking shit together in the decade after this story. I mean, talk about a comeback. Uh, You know, hey, you almost killed me. And then in the next 10 years, they will basically change the face of both music festivals and television together as a unit. And you have to remember who's, who's running that business. Oh, it's Sharon. And that's that's Sharon. It's oh, not hell us. yeah. Did you ever go to Ozfest? So is it gonna totally surprise you that I didn't go to Ozfest? A little bit. I I never ever went to Ozfest. And that first Ozfest had Slayer and Neurosis on it. And like oh, yeah, Motor Motorhead played like one year and, and like I don't know, it's like my jam, but there was a time where I wasn't around any of that. I lived in New York and there was, it was like Jones Island, I think. And I don't know what I was doing. I'm not sure. I think when I moved to Colorado, I was listening to Sarah McLaughlin. I'm not sure. Anyway, so I have no idea how I n- ever missed 
OzFest because if OzFest like right now was here, I would probably pay $350 for a VIP thing to go see <laughs> yeah, whoever, what, whatever like loser reunion stuff like docking. I would go see. Here's what would happen. I would be, yeah. I would be the sober Uber driver for you and producer Troy. It would oh. be chaos. You and producer Troy would, I, you would basically pull an Aussie for a weekend. You would watch Troy and I cry during <laughs> Faster Pussycats House of Pain. Good God, dude. So so really how this like I Sharon knew what she was doing here. So Ozzy didn't get on the bill for Lollapalooza. Yeah, and that's so this what this is, a, right? Like she's sort of pissed right. off. Yeah. Yeah. Metallica got in on ninety six, which was the complete sort of antithesis that of what weird. like if yeah. you think of the first the first Lollapalooza, second Lollapalooza, and 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 who was on that? Like, that was like load years. Like that was like this the, totally where they were, you know. So, so it's t- completely out of step. And so she, that was her music festival and her idea. And man, she brought it. Lots of metal bands. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting because it proves a lot about legacy influence and personal branding. And this was like sort of before the time that that was a thing, right? Now you have these curated music festivals like the freaking National and, you know, True. whoever. Like all these indie rock yeah. bands have their own festivals. Had his name. Yeah. This has his name on it. No one else had like no one was doing their name then. on no. the festival. No way. No. And no. it runs from 96 until 2018. On and off. There's a couple periods where it laps, I think, but for the most part, it's it's consistent for the for those like what is that, 22 years? And yeah. I, I feel like we should use this as an excuse to tell the Iron Maiden story. Do you want to tell the Iron Maiden story? <laughs> yeah, sure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I made I made sure to make notes about this, Brian, so we could. I mean, because I knew this is you you yeah. you knew if we were going to talk about Sharon and Ozzy, and you knew Ozfest was going to have to come up. This this is the story you have to tell if we are talking about Sharon Osborne. Like again, it, the the you know we go back and forth, right? It's like here's the here's the crazy side of them, here's the really savvy business side of them, and then you hear this story, and you're like. Jesus Christ, that woman. Go go for it. Tell it. Well, it's it's the dad side, man. This is what dad would it, dad would have probably beat someone up and You're right, but you're right. This is the ghost of Don Arden, for sure. Yeah, that's that's a great way of putting it. Um so this is about Iron Maiden, right? And so it was 2005 and a, around the backstage, Bruce Dickinson was talking shit about Ozzy having <laughs> teleprompters. <laughs> By the way, I'd like to point out, like Frank Sinatra or Axl Rose, um, but also he said something about, I don't need a reality show or whatever. Yeah, because the show had started at this point, right? Yeah, yeah, 2005. Oh, yeah. Yeah, It was almost over at that point. Yeah, so at one stop on the tour, somehow in a very orchestrated manner, the band Iron Maiden started getting pelted by eggs. Well, she like and invites then, audience members on stage, doesn't she? She like runs some sort of fucking contest to let these people come up and do it. That's what's Sharon amazing about it. Orchestrates people to throw eggs, <laughs> and then she starts turning the power off on Iron Maiden. So she did. I I I, I had to look it all up because I want because she admitted that she did it. So this is a oh, quote. Well, yeah, from, again, this is Don Arden's kid. Yeah, she admitted because. Think about like, yeah, I totally turned the power off on a band that can draw 30,000 people or 50,000 people in Rio or whatever. This is her quote. I did cut their sound. Ozfest is our tour. Bruce Dickinson didn't have the manners to realize that when you're invited into someone's home 
and are seated at their dinner table and eating their food and drinking their wine, you shouldn't talk disrespectfully about them. Otherwise, you might just get your ass handed to you. <laughs> Every action has a reaction. Was Dickinson so naive to think that I was going to let him get away with talking shit about my family night after night? I don't think he realizes who he's dealing with. He doesn't. That is so, a freaking quote from someone, Sharon. Someone needs to give him a, a little primer about the move and ELO and you know the two weeks that Don Arden managed Queen like somebody needs to let him in on all that <laughs> yeah yeah but but let's so okay so Ozfest is an amazing thing and uh, unbelievable. i'm sure most most of our listeners know a lot about it but you know the other thing was was tv right so i was prime target for this so i start college in fall of 2001 right before the twin towers fall right just to give you some time um and so 2002, when this launches on MTV, is like you know, I'm a prime candidate for this show, and I definitely knew who Ozzy Osbourne was, but I didn't know him much beyond, hey, he's a metal guy from the 80s, right? And this brings him to this whole different audience. They take over pop culture with this show where they yeah. let cameras into their house. What was your relationship with the show? Because you would have been at this point, what, in your mid 20s. Yeah, yeah. I was in my mid twenties. I was in the I was in the workforce. I'd graduated college, and I didn't. Um, I don't think I had cable, so I I learned about the show on Talk Soup by being at people's houses, um, and I hated reality TV because it was so weird. I was like, ah, oh, there's no script. This is cheap, and this is how people cashed in on it. It would be like a decade later when I realized that my soon-to-be wife and her friends watch Big Brother all the time, and I should I, I didn't red flag that as that being weird, but still anyway. So no one else was doing this in terms of celebrities doing their own thing. There were celebrity there, there were celebrities inching into it, but no one was doing their own show. And, and for me, the biggest issue I have, which I'm I'm sure I don't know if you researched talked about this at all, was that in, in retrospect, what we found out is that people would make fun of Ozzy because, and it was because he was, he was over medicated by his physician at the time. And his speech became this, like, it's a joke. It was like a, a punchline because you couldn't understand him. And that was still almost 20 years ago. So we'll get to exactly what happened and why he was over medicated in just a moment. But I didn't realize that. And I do remember that being the main takeaway from the show was that Ozzy, you could like do an Ozzy impression by just like, it was sort of like a Dylan impression. You know, you just sort of <laughs> garble your words together. You know, right. But th this show, what it sort of missed is that this show will actually set the world up for the Kardashians and for everything that comes after right. that, right? Yeah. This is how Vice puts it. In 2001, reality TV was still tucked into a broader nonfiction program category that accounted for more dramatic shows like Trauma, Life in the ER, or a traditional Cucks. documentary. The Osbournes on that day, when only Sharon and middle daughter, daughter Kelly bothered to turn up at the Emmys, because they, they will eventually win an Emmy for this show, were some yeah. of the first to pilot the kind of TV that we're, we are so used to now. Cameras following families around, shooting the banality of life in their homes and wider suburbia. Right, and this... This launches MTV into this, so the real world was a thing, and this and MTV gets fuller into this. Well, it, it, this starts on Cribs, which I didn't realize. This literally starts because they put Ozzy and Sharon and Jack and Kelly on Cribs, and Jack and Kelly are great. Like, they, um, they love them. Dude, Cribs, 
fucking rules. Rip was great. <laughs> Come was, on. It was really good. When it when it was like you you like every time there was a hip hop guy, he had a Scarface picture, and every time you had a metal guy, it was in there. Like, here's my look at my fucking pool. Like, and you're all just girls everywhere. Like, it at times it it reeked of stereotypical insanity things, but it still was like really cool because you wanted to have a house that had a 50 foot Scarface poster when you walked I mean, into the atrium. <laughs> listen, people people still reference cribs, people of a certain age, I guess. And also, I mean, how often have you said, this is where the magic happens, which is like shit that is came from cribs. Like people would say that happens. on cribs all the time. Oh my gosh. So speaking, speaking of that, this is a slight detour. Have you seen that movie on Netflix, a Jonah Hill flick called You People? Um... Is that I it's, man? I I couldn't finish it. it. It wasn't great, but there is David Duchovny is a character in that. He in, is in that film. Mazel, Mazel Tov. Yeah, weird. And he is talking at some point. He's trying to relate to a black woman, and he keeps telling her how much he liked Pit My Ride. <laughs> it's like a bit throughout the whole movie that his only relation. I like. I like Pit My Ride. Oh He's my like, god! How that exhibit? Oh. That exhibit seems like a good dude. What do you know about exhibit? <laughs> an ongoing gag anyway so it's a great joke the, it, it so it starts on cribs jack and kelly are really good in front of the camera and the mtv producers like them at the time they're like 16 15 and 16 something insane like that and they decide the mtv producers after that episode are like let's call jack and kelly and see if they want to do bvjs or do some sort of reoccurring bit yeah. with us and so they take a meeting with the family and during this meeting, it slowly starts to morph into being a much bigger thing. And there's this really good oral history that The Ringer did to celebrate 20 years last year of the show. And this is, this is a quote from it. It's obviously in the show notes from Jack Osborne. Here's the thing. We didn't know what we were signing up for. Now there's a frame of reference for this genre. But back then, the only reference we had was the real world road rules, cops, and the odd documentary here and there. Like Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous or whatever. And remember... This was before, like on cable, you you couldn't say, I have a geriatric profanity disorder, everybody. And I thought the cursing was a, too, a little bit too much. Because it was just beep, 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 beep. There was just so much, well, so much profanity there was being, and, and you would see that in the promos. Like It became the you, bit. It became the whole yeah. bit. It was like Ozzy is unintelligible or being bleeped out. Like that was the whole bit of the show for a while. Yeah. And it, you knew what he was saying. It was great. It's funny to read all these remembrances from people involved because there was this real fear about what this show was going to do to Ozzy's image. I mean, the gag was that this guy was supposed to be scary and he wasn't. <laughs> right? He I mean, had he, little he, dog. he had little he had dogs. dogs. He, he's telling people about his World War II documentaries he likes to watch, like just crazy stuff. Yeah, it it de it demist just I guess like a reality show can do it. It demystified the person, the prince of darkness into the guy who has to come home. But I think it made him so much more relatable. I mean, I do you think without this show that he would still have the career that he has? No, I think I think that it had a weird trampoline springboard for him. Yeah, because 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 it either endeared him more to Gen Xers and older people than me. And then it introduced him to an audience like you. Yeah, totally. Who like totally didn't listen to Black Sabbath. Right. I mean, like that was like probably like 
there was like probably a steel cage with like a fire on top of it, keeping you away from Black yeah, Sabbath. I mean, records. millennials know who this is, who who Ozzy is because of this show, not because of Black That's Sabbath. That's right. Yeah, yeah. and it, you know, it launches Kelly and Jack into this celebrity stratosphere that they are not ready ready for or can cope with very well. And now as adults, yeah. they're pretty open about that. Yeah, because a lot of stuff happened to, to both of them. And then you, you mentioned it at kind of at the top. There was someone that didn't participate in this show. Yeah. And it was, they, had a, they had another sibling. It's the older sister. who, And again, they're yeah. all really close together. 83, which makes Amy my age. And then 84 is Kelly and 85 is Jack, something like that. So they're, I mean, they're all like a year apart. And she totally opts out. She never appeared on the show telling the independent in 2015. Back then, I still felt I was trying to figure out who I was in the chaos of family life. So why on earth would I want that portrayed on television? I wanted to protect myself, my parents, my siblings, too. They were very young and very impressionable. Um, it's crazy. I mean, I think she's the smartest one of them. For Yeah, oh, yeah by trying to, <laughs> to, to find yourself. She's probably also the least wealthy of all of them. But uh, the, it's interesting because the public relations people on the show will say that nothing is faked for the cameras. Because remember, there's no precedence for this, really, other than the real world, which was a competition. And that's sort of the difference, right? It wasn't just yeah. watching people live. There was competition. Survivor starts in 01. This starts in 02. So Survivor isn't even established at this yeah, point. Yeah, it's right. It's just that's a it's a really unusual show still. And I don't believe for a second that this wasn't set up by the producers, but it did make me think of something. This will lead, like we said, to the Kardashians, but there's also additional rock and roll ripoff versions. To, and I know you watched Gene Simmons' Family Jewels on Annie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that was like worse <laughs> fake than all fake. And I watched it. And, and, and that was what's weird is like I didn't watch. It was the what part I was. It's like where I was in my life. Like I got, I got, I got cable. I was, I'm, I'm around someone that wants to have cable in the house. I've got cable, but yeah, I watched it and it was totally fake all the freaking time. And you got to see Gene sitting in his office, which is just like a gigantic room of all like kiss collectible shit. Everything about it was kind of gross. And he did he the face- apprentice, didn't he? At some point with Donald Trump. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh sure, and and. They got facelifts. I don't know if you ever saw that. Like he and Shannon? Shannon and him both got facelifts in the episode. And that was was gross. Yeah. So that was totally weird. It's funny. Have have we talked about this story about my old radio co host and her dad and how he he had to chaperone Gene Simmons around for a filming of this? Was this in someone from Arkansas? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. This is weirdly, this was, it has a direct tie to Louisville, but it is an Arkansas story. So I was in radio in Arkansas and I worked with this woman named Jennifer Irwin and Jennifer's dad somehow had some weird connection. He lived in Dallas, but he had some weird connection where he would get flown into the Kentucky Derby to be like a celebrity chaperone. And I can't remember why, but he did it year after year. And so we would have him on our morning radio show to talk about his celebrity encounters just as a bit. Right. So, hey, we're going to talk to Jennifer's dad, and he would call and tell us. So one year, he gets flown up for the Derby, and they tell him he is going to be the liaison for Gene Simmons because they're shooting an episode of The Family Jewels about Gene yes. going to the Derby. Yep, and I remember this, man, clearly. And he told us that everything was scripted. Yep. Yes, and I remember someone, because I remember when that I remember when they came and they, they were shooting that. And I remember someone told me that it was. Yeah, he said they would literally of, like go cut and have him walk back and walk back in the room, like straight yeah. up like law and order. Like everything yeah. was. So anyway, back to Ozzy. I, as much as we love to talk about Kiss on this show, we've talked about Kiss and crew on an Ozzy episode. This has got to be euphoria for you. 
the tr- this is like the trifecta. You know, like <laughs> I'm sure when you grew up eating potato <laughs> chips in the church for Super Bowl Sunday, this is what I feel like about that. I like <laughs> Brian flipping me off. I'm just saying, man, like this is as good as it gets for me. Like this is a trinity for me, a rock trinity. Good Lord. <laughs> Look at this you. is great. Sacrilegious yeah. bastard. Uh, when, the, when the show premiered on MTV, audiences go crazy, right? It becomes the biggest ratings grabber in the network's history. Uh, Variety says a few weeks into its run, this show had become one of cable's biggest draws in years. Each episode drew an average of 5.3 million live viewers. Live viewers, because you didn't watch anything on delay. The show's season one finale, which was built around an interview with Ozzy and crafted from a bunch of leftover material that didn't fit into other episodes, got 7.2 million viewers. TV doesn't, this doesn't happen anymore on TV, just for reference. And that was all crap they had left over. That was just the leftover. Well, you know, and around this time, because I watch old episodes of Survivor with my son as a regular thing, and we've been watching older episodes, and there's there's a period in that show where they would do these clip shows in the middle. Just as as filler, because they're just you you like you can't get away with that now. Like nobody wants to watch a clip show because you can go back and watch clips on your own speed, but you couldn't yeah. then. And so these clip shows were valuable to the audience to a certain degree. Yeah, for for sure. Now the Osbournes will eventually walk away from this show after four seasons. Uh, it definitely pressurizes their life, and so they they decide to sort of end it on their own terms, which I think is probably a good move. The show also overlaps, though, with two more Sharon and Ozzy moments that I think are notable here when we talk about their relationship, because we're really talking about the two of them and how they survive. Her cancer and his accident. Oh, they both yeah. They both happened in 2003. Yeah, yeah. And the second, the latter, like, there was a little bit of like, is Ozzy going to die? Like, there wasn't... For real. There, because there was that sort of curiosity about like what can how do you kill that cat you know but so she had colon cancer yeah she gets this diagnosis they'll do the chemo treatments on the show like they document all of it end of the year so in december of that year he is driving an atv around his estate and the cameras are rolling and you can find this in the show notes if you actually want to watch it he ends up with a broken collarbone, eight fractured ribs that were pinching crucial blood vessels, and a damaged vertebrae in his neck. And they have to put metal rods in him. Metal rods. I, now, here's where you, you alluded to this earlier. And I think this is a really good thing we need to mention. I also read that this accident was believed to be partly caused by all these drugs that he is on. Prescribed yeah. drugs, not recreational drugs. Prescribed drugs, right. anti-anxiety things that he starts taking because he is so freaked out about Sharon. I read an interesting interview with Sharon that I didn't really put in the notes where someone asks her, like, are you a little pissed that Ozzy couldn't keep his shit together when you had cancer after all the shit you've kept together for him? And she had this, like, very kind, nuanced answer of, like, essentially, like, I know who Ozzy is and I love Ozzy for Ozzy. And, but, you know, I mean, this is a traumatic ordeal for him. I mean, she really is. They've they've had this really messed up relationship, but like we alluded to, it's like pretty codependent at this point. And so, oh, oh yeah, yeah. And you would you would hear that like I don't know if it's actually in the dirt or if I've just read it. It's like you know the crew went out with Ozzy on the Shout at the Devil tour, and you know stuff happened, and then Sharon shows up. And then Ozzy, you know, doesn't get off the bus. Like Ozzy doesn't go snorting ants and 
putting on dresses and pissing on people at the pool. You know, he like the wife shows up. So, dude, there's so, so way, many Aussie stories we have not told. Like, there are so uh, many Aussie stories we have not told. Yeah, we haven't talked about the Alamo, like really. But oh, God. so I thought about right, it, but I was like, we're just going to get distracted if I bring that up. Yeah, he doesn't. Rem- he knows that it happened. Doesn't really remember. Doesn't remember it. But but yeah. So but uh, yeah. So all of that. And you have to think that she she managed his career, she made him more successful, she saved his career, and she she saved his life on more than one occasion. More than, when more he than didn't once. Just, and, 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 in a, and in situations where people could have walked away. And she did, at least more than once. And, for sure. and how many, how does he repay her? <laughs> you know, oh, we, I would like to say that 20 years on, this drama is all in the past. <laughs> It is not. Uh, just in the last like, what six, seven years, we uh, he has reemerged as just fucking things up. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So <laughs> the what everyone found out was that it was it was the hairdresser, and, uh, and <laughs> First, I, I, it's, I, I don't. This is rude to say, but what? Who? Why? Well, like, you, I'm well, thinking of her go- motivations. Like what? Yeah, but if you if you go and look like the, um, she is a person that takes care of a lot of larger celebrities, like bigger famous people, and I guess so does Salon, and she's represented by somebody, oh, so shit. people get sent to her or whatever. But people around her and her coworkers knew that there's this man over seventy that's a client that she was very friendly with. So um, this is something I've got. I I had to take this from the show notes because I was I knew we would get to the hairdresser because. This is new, and like Sharon did attempt. Sharon did walk out for a bit. Oh yeah, or, no, sorry, no, she leaves. She, him. Kicked, she, she kicked Ozzy out. Like yeah. Ozzy had to leave and move into the whatever and the see, hotel. That's how that out. fucking works because Sharon yeah. is in charge, and she's always right. been in charge. Yeah, and she sends him up to the hotel where he was with this gal. So, um, so this is a quote from the New Music uh, NME, the New Music Express. So this is Sharon saying, "I was a broken woman, and he sent." me an email that was meant for one of his women. Ah, Jesus Christ, Ozzy. Then he took his sleeping pills and I put an extra two in his drink and I asked him everything and everything came out. He would have never told me the truth ever. He was ashamed and afraid. I knew how long I knew who it was. I knew what he was thinking. And then, you know, you leave. Ozzy told me it was over with this woman. I believed him. And then six months later, I found out it wasn't. And then there were others. And then only then did he come out and say, I'm an addict and I can't help it. And and so he admitted to her that he was a sex addict. So, I mean, an addict is an addict, right? It doesn't take a psychotherapist no. to, to be your guest on this show to uh, to point that out. That if you're, you you're pour, a, you, you, you get rid of thing out, yeah. Yeah, you pour one thing out, you pour something else in. So they break up sort of. Uh, unofficially, which is like kind of crazy because of all the other shit they've gone through together. It's like, this is just one more thing. You can work through this. And they do. Uh, I guess they realize that. They get back together. They renew their vows, and they're over 40 years at this point as a married couple, which is yeah. wild. Right. And um, in the weirdest stuff ever that I, I just really wish I understood, um, Ozzy had an announcement real recently where he said that he wasn't going to tour anymore. Right. And there was a lot, there was a lot of support from people like, like Rob Halford said, you know, like, you know, it's good to, you know, whenever you want to do that, man, it's, if it's time, it's time. And, and then, doesn't this have to do, Oh yeah. I want you to finish that, but doesn't, doesn't he announce it? Because basically like in 19, he 
screws up his those rods they put in his back again. Like it yes. all traces back to that ATV accident. Like he is not in good physical shape at all to be able to get up no. every night and run around. No, and when you go see, I mentioned this last week on the other episode. When you go see Steel Panther, they do that. They do the when they do Crazy Train. He walks around the singer walks around the stage like Ozzy, like in that sort of like Frankenstein way, because Ozzy can't move around. You know, he can't jump around or throw the bucket of water. Like that's all over, right? Um, but then he 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 flip flopped on it and said that he 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 might or he's gonna tour again. <laughs> And, and I wondered if the first if the first thing was just his idea and the second thing was Sharon's idea. Well, I just didn't you know, last year it. they were talking about bringing the show back, the Osbournes. Mm-hmm. Yes. It doesn't, yeah. I don't know if it's going to happen, but it, it has been in talk. So, I mean, Sharon is, she's still working. She's still working all the time. And we, who knows? I don't think until he dies, I, he will be, he will be working an angle, probably an angle she's come up with until the day he dies. Yeah, and you know she's still working and doing like real doing talk TV or whatever. I don't know, man. I'm not. I yeah, whatever daytime TV stuff. Um, so she's continuing continuing to work, uh, regardless. So and she's keeping up those appearances because she she likes to. So, Whew, good grief, man! What a what a journey. It makes you thankful for your marriage. I hope, um, or or maybe thankful that you're out of whatever marriage you were in. <laughs> That's, that's Depending right. on how similar it might have been to Ozzy and Sharon, uh, or, or it might, or it might make you think about like the next time you want to get blackout drunk for any reason. Like <laughs> we've given you a reason to think about that, man. Oh man, if you want to get involved with the show, it's uh, it's we are the story guys at gmail.com. You can uh, follow along to what we're doing on our website. We are the story at Instagram. It is backslash rock and roll bedtime stories. And there's a Patreon. If you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoy our show, if you can spare a few bucks a month to keep it going, we love it. And we'll give you extra content for it, extra episodes and um, a weekly newsletter. It, all you got to do is go to patreon.com slash rock and roll bedtime stories. So uh, beyond that, if you don't do any of that, what should people keep doing until next time, Murdoch? Keep telling stories. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright Boy Have We Got Stories Productions. All rights reserved.